Happy 2020. I want to say thank you for joining us today to listen to our messages online. I'm Kevin, the lead pastor here at Thrive, and you've joined us in a series studying the character named Nehemiah. And we're looking at this. How do you rebuild the walls of your life? Because all of us this year are looking for areas that we want to rebuild. So I hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you haven't, download our app. You can get all of our content there. And make sure to visit www.thrivechurch.me for any messages and any other information about our church. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? All right. It's good to be with you guys today. If you've just joined us, we're in week two of a series in the book of Nehemiah. We're calling this series Rebuild. And why are we doing that? Uh, because this time of the year, you're thinking about rebuilding areas of your life, right? There's things that you want to be different in 2020 that were not different in 2019. And so you're kind of laser focused. And if you're not focused, you're at least thinking about it, right? Because it's the new year. And so we're actually looking at an Old Testament character named Nehemiah and his approach to rebuilding a physical wall, uh, actually historically. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning. Nehemiah uh, chapter 3. Uh, Jimmy Durant was an old performer. Some of you may not know him, but he was kind of like a comedian, a performer. And he was asked to come do a show for veterans. And as he came to the show, he said, I've got five minutes to do a quick show. And I got, another, I got to catch a plane. I'm going to another show. So I only have five minutes. Well, the producer went with him, and he's the guy who kind of like walks him up there and shows him and gets him on the plane. And he leaves. But he noticed that, like, Jimmy kept going. After five minutes, he went on to 10 minutes. He went on to 15 minutes. He went on to 20 minutes. And finally, it's 30 minutes. He did a 30-minute show. He missed his plane. And when he walked off stage, the producer said, well, what's going on? Why, would, why did you do that? Now we're late for the next show. He said, I was actually really moved. He said, there was two veterans in the front row. And each one of them beside each other only had one arm. He said, and they clapped so hard and laughed so hard at everything I was saying. He said, they clapped for each other. So one would do one hand and one would do the other. He said, I was so moved by that. I just didn't want to stop. I wanted to keep going because I was so moved by their teamwork. What I want to do is, is answer the question. Last week we talked about rebuilding. If you're going to rebuild an area of your life, you've got to get brutally honest about that area. You can't sugarcoat it. You say, you know what, I've got to deal with it. But today I want to talk to you about something really important about rebuilding. Because what you're rebuilding is not the most important thing. Whatever that is in your life. I mean, if it's like your marriage or if it's health or if it's money or if it's, you know, just whatever, your job, your career. What you're rebuilding is not the most important thing about rebuilding. And I want to talk to you about what really is. And Nehemiah chapter 3, as we're going to look at it, may be one of the most boring books in the Bible as you initially look at it. Uh, it may be one of the books you say, why would you ever teach that on a Sunday morning? And I'm going to show you why and what God showed me several years ago. Now, now, Nehemiah, to catch you up, let you know kind of the backdrop and history of this, is that in this time in Israel, Israel was under the rule of Persia. So they were exiled to Babylon, and you had, um, you know, Assyria took Israel, and then you had the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah got taken by Babylon. They were in exile. They were slaves. Things were really bad. If you read the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah, that was smack dab in the middle, like in that whole time frame, of the exile of Israel, the worst time in their history. They'd got to the promised land, but because of disobedience, because of disobeying God's commandments, going their own way, they're now in exile. Well, they were always given promises. And we read the Old Testament, stop just applying that to you because that was written to Israel first, and then we can kind of ride the coattails of those promises secondly. 
So when you read Jeremiah 29, 11, in Israel's darkest time of their history, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's not for you. I know grandma, you know, put that on your, uh, crocheted that on your pillow, and you look at that, or it's on your coffee mug. You're like, oh, thank you, Lord. But that was written to them because they were in the worst time of history. They saw no future. They saw no hope. Their children were slaves. The city of Jerusalem was in ruins. The temple was destroyed. The walls were broken down. You read Isaiah. You look at all the promises there. Isaiah was reminding them that there is still a future for you. You read Zechariah and those guys. You see those promises. Israel knew at some point God would come through. They just didn't know when. Well, Nehemiah is kind of the culmination of those promises actually coming to pass. Nehemiah is the culmination of all of God's promises to them about restoring the nation of Israel coming to pass. So what happened was this. Persia took over Babylon. This is super important. Persia now rules Israel. And for the first time ever, there's a glimmer of hope because there were people living in Israel still. They're kind of like a, like a vassal state, a vassal community. Like they, they had no sovereignty. They were slaves, but some of them still lived there. And the king of Persia, watch this, allowed them to rebuild the temple. He sent Ezra. When you read the book of Ezra, that's about rebuilding the temple of Jerusalem, and God had promised that. When you read um, um, uh, um, Zechariah, you look at Zerubbabel. He went with Ezra. He was kind of the chief one rebuilding that. The temple got rebuilt. It was really exciting. But Nehemiah served in Persia. So while all this is happening, Nehemiah's in Persia. He's serving as the cupbearer to the king. He's one of the top officials to the king of Persia. He's actually the cupbearer, meaning that he would taste the food and the wine to make sure there was no poison in it. So it could be either a really good day for him or a really bad day. <laughs> well, Nehemiah wants to find out what's happening back in Jerusalem. He's heard about the temple. He's heard about what's going on there. And when he hears and he gets the word back, we looked at last week, they said, Nehemiah, it's worse than you thought. The walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, and the city just lies in ruins. And Nehemiah was heartbroken because he remembers the promises. He remembers hearing these things. He remembers in the community of Israel hearing all the, the culmination of what would happen, but this is not what God had promised. It's not supposed to be like this. And so Nehemiah weeps, he fasts, he prays, he mourns, he's really upset. And then last week we heard Nehemiah goes to the king of Persia, and this is huge. He goes to the king of Persia, who Israel is kind of like an enemy. He says, hey, can I go back and rebuild the wall and when you send resources with me? Huge ask. And what happens? The king of Persia does it. So he sends orders back. Nehemiah has letters as he goes through all these enemy states, as he's going into Israel, they stop him. They say, hey, what are you doing? I got letters from the king. I'm rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And this was huge. Understand this. A walled city was a military threat to everyone around it. So he's riding through these communities saying, hey, we're going to become a walled city again. Get ready. No longer can you come in and raid. No longer can you come in and take things from us. We will be restored. And so Nehemiah goes back, he surveys the wall, he prays, he comes up with a strategy. And what you're going to see in Nehemiah 3, you're going to see something that I had never thought of before until several years ago when I was doing devotions. I, I, usually when I do devotions, I will go straight through a book of the Bible, and I read every piece of that book, and I journal. Like, God, what are you saying to me through this? Like, like you know, and I write down what God's saying. And when I got to Nehemiah 3, can I be honest with you? I was like, all right. <laughs> I don't know if I can hear anything from you about this, God. I don't understand what's really what's going on. 
But what you're going to see is they rebuilt the wall in half the time, 52 days. And Nehemiah 3 is the key to it. Don't you look at Nehemiah 3, verse 1. And we're going to bounce around a little bit, and, and I'll let you know when we do. But it says this, Then Eliashab, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. You're going to hear a lot bunch of gates. There were many gates that led into the city. Imagine a big wall around Richmond, right? How big that wall. They dedicated it and set up, probably not that big of a wall, but it's something similar to that. He says, and, and they, they dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of Hundred, which they dedicated. In the Tower of Hananel, people from the town of Jericho worked next to them. Beyond was Zakur, son of Emery. Now look at this. It says, the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They laid the beams, set up its doors, installed the bolts and bars. You're going to see this over and over again. You're going to say, why is he reading this to us? I don't understand. I'll explain it. The old city gate was repaired by Joeda, son of Passia, and Meshulam, son of Besadiah, and they laid the beams and set up its doors and installed the bolts and the bars. The valley gate was repaired by the people of Zananoah, led by Hanan. They set up its doors and installed the bolts and the bars. They also repaired the 1,500 feet of wall to the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchiah, son of Rechab, the leader of the Beth Hakram district. I don't know about you, but when they're, when they're like signing people to different parts of the gates, I would love the valley gate, but the dung gate just does not sound good, if you know what dung is, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know what happened to that gate, but that had to be a smelly situation there. I'm just saying, don't know. Because the next one is the fountain gate. It was repaired by Shalom and Kohose, the leaders from the Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Salom near the king's garden. And he rebuilt the wall as far as the, as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. Now, I just carried you through a bunch of different passages in there. And you're saying, what does it have to do with me and the price of tea in China? It has a lot to do with you. Because what they did there was something miraculous. Everybody in the community found a place on the wall. They found their spot to rebuild. This book is called the book of Nehemiah. But when you look at that, you realize it just wasn't about Nehemiah. Because when you look, continue to read Nehemiah 3, Nehemiah had his own place on the wall. He wasn't just supervising, but he had uh, his own place on the wall. And he told them to get a sword and get a brick. Now, I don't recommend you get swords after this series, right? You could get in trouble carrying them into place, uh, you know, uh, places to eat and things like that. I think they frowned upon swords. But what they did there was every one of them got on the wall to rebuild. It took the whole community of Israel to do it in 52 days. And what I want to share with you is this, is that for you and I, as you look at this, you think, well, what does this have to do with me? If you're going to rebuild the walls of your life, you cannot do it alone. It will not happen by you trying harder and reading a book and listening to a podcast and just doing it. It's going to require you to have a community of people around you to help you to get to the place you need to go. Matter of fact, in, in American Christianity, we kind of like think of Christianity as this independent, individualistic religion, and it's not. We think about, it's just as Keith said earlier, it's about me and King Jesus and nobody else. And yes, you do have a personal relationship, but not a private relationship. Everything you do is personal. It's not just private. And I want to show you today 
how incredibly important it is to understand the power of community. And if you have your copy or, or your, your connection card, write this down because here's our big idea today. In order to rebuild, we must move from being isolated consumers to being co-laborers. We must move from being isolated consumers to co-laborers if we're going to rebuild. Because last week you were challenged about what you're going to rebuild, right? You're thinking about things. I'm thinking about things. Like all week long, I'm just kind of like, Lord, you know, what are the two or three things this year that I really need just to nail down, need to tighten down a little bit? What are some habits I need to get better at? What are some attitudes I need to stop having? What are some, what are my thought life, how can it get better, right? And you've been thinking about that hopefully. But I want to show you today that you'll never get there if you have this isolated consumer mentality when it comes to Christianity. That you're just going to do it by yourself. You're going to do it alone and you'll get there. Matter of fact, I love what Paul writes here. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, he says this, For we are co-workers or co-laborers in God's service. And watch what he says. He says, you are God's field. You are God's building. And that's not you individually. That's you, plural. It's not just you as, a, as an individual person. That's you together. And my fear is, is that many of you will set off with goals. Many of you are going to set off with ideas about what your future will be like. But you're going to miss the most important part about rebuilding. And you'll see the same thing happen that happened in 19 and 18 and 17. And you'll get to the end of your year. And you'll be like, I'm glad that year was over. How about we get to the end of the year and be like, man, that was a great year. Man, God did so much in my life. How about we make 2020 that year? And we can do that if you understand what it means to be a co-laborer, if you understand one of the, the main tenets of Christianity. That's why, like, our value with Thrive, if you go through our Connect gathering and you hear about this, one of our values is meals, M-A-L-S. Well, do you like to eat? No, it's not about eating. Of course, I do love food. People mistakenly think, I love to work out and I love food. So just like, just, just so you know. But Mills, when you look at the early church, one of their, like, the, the crux of what they did was they shared in meals together. They did life together. It wasn't about coming and hearing a sermon and amen and all that was good. Let's just go home and do our thing. They literally did life together. And when you look at even the New Testament leaders, they got each other's faces. Peter and Paul went face to face. They argued. They got mad. There was conflict. But they had the greatest movement we've ever seen in a religion in the world ever because they did life together. Yeah, they did listen to the apostles' teaching. They, they, they listened to the quote-unquote word of God for that time. But relationship mattered. And I want you to understand that if you're a believer in here, if you're a follower of Jesus and maybe you've been misled along the way, is that relationship matters more than you actually think it does. Matter of fact, I like what Paul writes again. And this is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. And what he's doing is he's writing to the church at Ephesus about, like, the function of leaders, right? Like, there's, like there's a different functions of leaders and pastors and teachers. And he's going through this whole thing about why God gave leaders to the church and different functions of leaders and things of that nature. And then it's like Paul just goes off and he says this here to them so they understand the big picture. And look what he says in Ephesians 4, 16. He says, he, that being God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. We're called the body of Christ, right? Now, I love this. As each part does its own special work. Paul's right there. Each part. You are each part. As each part, it almost sounds like he's like looking at Nehemiah 3 and saying this, right? 
I love this. He says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. If you want to grow, if you want to be better in 2020 and whatever that is for your life, he says that there's another part that's going to help you grow, that literally you can't just grow yourself. Isn't that amazing? Now, let, me, let me go on and, and finish that here. He says, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The key to your walk with God, the key to seeing your life be different, the key to seeing your marriage different, the key to seeing everything different is understanding that we're a body, right? And not just at Thrive Church, but other churches are our competition. They're our completion because we're a body, right? Like, like all of us together, you're part of a huge family. And here's the key. If you try to live independently, Christianity will never work for you. It will be another self-help type of lesson each week that you hear from the stage. But when you understand what God calls us to as the body of Christ, not only is it beautiful, but it changes your life. See, here's the thing. Whenever you have something you want to overcome, God will not just send you a miracle. He'll send you a person. Remember Moses? We all have heard of Moses at least, right? Moses had a stuttering problem. He's like, God, I cannot preach. God's like, he's like, I stutter. God's like, oh, really? I didn't notice that. I formed you. didn't know it. And so he asked God. He said, God, I can't do this. Did God fix Moses' stuttering problem? No. What did God do? God sent him Aaron. God just didn't come down and save the day and get a miracle breakthrough. He sent him someone that would help him. Jesus could have actually done it without the 12 disciples when he was here initially. Like, if you remember, he had to slow down a lot and say, oh, time out, boys, come here, let's, let's, let's do a huddle. I mean, Jesus probably could have done twice as much. He was always huddling with his guys saying, you don't really get it, do you? Like, ah, oh, Simon, not again. Like, really? He could have just done it by himself, but he chose to have people there. Because when he left, they continued the movement. Anytime you look at it in Scripture, you'll find that God always sends a person or people for the answer. It's not just boom, he just does it. Think about the widow at Zarephath. There's a widow in the Old Testament who's down to like no food at all. And I guarantee she is praying for God to send her food. Did God send her food? The answer is no. God sent her Elijah. Right? That was, and, she, and he shows up and wants, wants her food. He's like, well, give me the food and then you'll get more. She's like, oh, wait a minute, bud. <laughs> so as you look at Scripture, you always see that. And as I thought about this message, and this is one of our values, so you're going to hear this over and over again at Thrive, is my own life. When I first gave my life to Christ, there was a person that was instrumental in my life named Eric. And you've heard me talk about Eric before. He was my good friend who did drugs who got saved. And he was the first person I'd ever seen with a twinkle of new life in Christ in his eye. And I was like, what is that? And he not only attracted me to the gospel, but Eric, we'd lay in bunk beds at, at, at his house. We'd hang out and he'd say, all right, man, it's time to pray tonight for go to bed after I got saved. And I didn't know how to pray. I mean, how do you pray? Praying's like scary for some of us, Right? He would say, okay, but we're going to pray for this now. He said, now, now, now you pray. And I'd lay there, I'd try to pray. And Eric helped me so much with Scripture. I remember, never forget, I went to Eric. And I said, man, I, I was reading Galatians. 
In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. And I was like, I got it, Eric. He was on the cross next to Christ. <laughs> Eric's like, no, you, oh, you big dummy. He's like, no. <laughs> That's not what it is. I remember after I gave my life to Christ and, and Eric moved away, there's a guy named Robbie who was not even the youth pastor. He was a, a youth small group leader. And so if, if you need somewhere to serve, a youth small group leader is important. If you don't think it's important, then you don't think my development was important. But Robbie met with me. He said, any students want to come out on Tuesday nights, we're going to meet and we're going to have discipleship meetings. I was like, hey, I'm in it, man. Let's do it. Yeah. And I showed up. And me and one other person showed up. And then the next week, it was just me and Robbie hanging out. And Robbie taught me, we had a piece of paper, and every week we had scripture reading with the checkoff, and we had to fast and pray each week before we met again. And that was so instrumental. He's the one who taught me a proverb a day will keep ignorance away. If you've been at Thrive, you've heard me say that. That was a person in my life. My first leadership book ever, I didn't know I had a call to ministry. Can I be honest with you? And nobody else did either. Like, I was ne- I've never been chosen for anything. I thought about this the other day. Like, if you, I've never been chosen, never been voted for anything as a leader. But a guy named Brett entered my life. And Brett said, you have a call in your life. Do you know that? I was like, no. Like, who's calling? What's going on? What does that mean? <laughs> he gave me my first leadership book. It was a John Maxwell book that was three books in one that thick. And I just read, 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 and circled and highlighted and read. He would come back from the, the master's program, and he would share with me Everything he was learning from leadership development, I just would take notes and learn. And then eventually, guess what I did? I went to college too. And I went to the same program to get my master's in leadership. He, he's the one who changed my life. I could go on and on about Tracy Reynolds. My development's not because I read a lot of books. Books do help. Read. My development is, is because of divine connections and divine appointments. I was at a pastor's gathering this week and I had to teach this week. But can I tell you what I was praying for? I was praying selfishly for divine connections and divine appointments to get me to the next level. Last year, I met someone. This guy's name is Josh Hanna. And it's the first time that I've got around someone. I'm just going to be honest with you, and this, this is just to be, be real. That I've got around somebody who actually challenges me in leadership. Not in a bad way, in a good way. Like the way that guy thinks and, and the, 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 the content he writes for leaders. And I'm sitting with him. I'm like, I just love to get around him. He's making me better. He's made me focus on leadership development for our teams. He's just, he's done stuff for me. And I'm telling you, it's because I prayed for divine connections and divine appointments every single day. I prayed for that this week. I don't know which ones will come out of that, but I guarantee God will send someone in my life that I can benefit and they can benefit me too because we're part of the body of Christ. And so here's, here's what you have to understand and here's what we have to do. Your next step is this. If you want to build something great, do it with others. If you want to do something great, if you want to accomplish something great, rebuild the wall of your life, do it with others. If you want to rebuild something small and make it take a long time and drag it out, just do it alone. Never open up. Never find those key relationships in the body of Christ. Never have anybody challenge you. I have another friend. I'll tell you about Brett Cooper. Brett's the guy that challenges me like I'm a tactical leader. Like I think tactically and strategically and I'm planning and doing all this. Brett is like a great spiritual leader, not very good tactically. So we really balance each other out. And Brett's the guy that just, urged, I mean, he just is all about prayer and fasting. That's just all this guy does. Like he loves it. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like fasting. Does anybody just, he loves it. Like he just, he just, it's like much as I love exercising, he loves, he loves fasting. And prayer is a discipline. If prayer was easy, we'd all be doing it more, right? 
but he spurs me on. He makes me better. You've got to find those people to help you do. If you want to do something great, if you want to go further in your walk with Christ, find those people in your life. So here's a, a question that I thought about with this message. What are you building today? What are you rebuilding today? What is it? What are you thinking about in your life right now? What's on the front burner this year that hopefully you won't lose by March or April? But there's something more important than what you're building in your life, something way more important. And here it is, and here's the, the next part. Your who will ultimately be more important than your what. Your who will be more important than your what. Nehemiah had to rebuild the wall, didn't he? If Nehemiah would have tried to rebuild that wall alone, guess what would have happened? It never would have gotten done. It took the whole community of Israel grabbing a brick, grabbing a part, and saying, you know what? We're going to make it happen together. And in your life, that's why we, we do like groups and we really push groups and push teams because I'm telling you something. If you want your life changed, it's because of relationships and maybe some relationships in this church that you didn't even know that would exist. That you had no clue that these people would invest in you and would help you grow. And it's usually the people you don't want to be around that are different than you that will help you do that. So your who is more important than your what. So what is it you're rebuilding? The who will be more important than that. Because if you get the right people in your life, listen to me, you can do anything if you get the right people around you. But it's finding that. And here, here are two thoughts as we close the day. Here are key quotes from those who try to rebuild without a team. Those who want to do it alone. Here's the first one. You've heard this. You've said this. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Oh, I, nobody can do it like I do it. I don't need anybody's help. I can make this happen alone. That quote will sink you. And a matter of fact, let me tell you something about, about Thrive Church. I, it is a mandate that our staff build teams and they don't do it alone. It's a mandate, right? Mandate doesn't mean that two, you know, two men go on a date. Mandate means you've you got to do it. <laughs> Some of you are like, it's a mandate. Because that matters more is having the right people around you. That matters so much. As a matter of fact, we have a directional team at Thrive, and there's, there's five adults from this church that sit on that team. And I'm going to tell you something. They're people of character that have, have background checks. They have credit checks. They, uh, man, they're people of integrity. And we wanted to get the best people we could find out that are the most critical thinkers that make me better at that, that table. I don't want yes people. I want people who can help me critically think about this church. They can look at our finances and look at what we're doing and say, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a good idea. Matter of fact, here, here's something that I believe you should do. Why? Because I've done it before in a business or somewhere else. I will never do ministry without a team. If you want something to do right, do it yourself. That quote will sink your ship. And here's the last quote. Key quotes from those who try to build without people, build without a team. And this is big. People will reject me if they know my broken wall issue. Did you feel that way? Like, because you got these broken walls in your life. Maybe you messed up. Maybe someone messed up your wall. But many times we think if they just find out what's really going on, if they find out what's on my internet browser, I'm done. 
Not only is God mad at me, which he's not, but these people will hate me. If they find out what our marriage really looks like, wow, I bet they all got it together. If they find out my issue, they're going to reject me. You know what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous? There is no judgment. You go in and you admit and you, you have a team of people with you all the time. I wish we looked like that, as I said last week. I wish we had that type of community where someone could say, here's my broken wall issue. And you realize everybody in this church has a broken wall issue. If you're new here, let me just tell you, we're a bunch of messed up people. Welcome to the club. If you're messed up, you're going to fit in, right? If you're perfect, then God's going to let you go to heaven soon. That's the only place you'll find perfect people. But I want you to know today two things. Number one, your heavenly father is not mad at you because of your issue. He wants to help you rebuild that wall. He loves you in spite of you. He saved you in spite of you. And the second thing I want you to know here at Thrive Church is we're not going to let anybody judge you because of a broken wall issue. We're here to help you. We're here to come alongside of you. If you ever share with someone and then someone starts gossiping about you, we don't talk about people. We talk to people at this church the way we deal with things. We're going to have, we're going to have a little talk with them because God has sent you here to rebuild some walls in your life. And not only has he sent you here to rebuild walls, but not to do it alone. And so here's what you have to do. You've got to pray for divine connections and divine appointments. Every day, that's, that's, I, I pray for God to send supernatural resources to this ministry and to send the right people to this ministry. Every day I pray for that. If, if you're in this church, I prayed for you. I prayed hard for you. Who will be the people to help you rebuild your Who will be your Nehemiah 3 people? You don't really get to decide it sometimes. But if you're open and aware and sensitive, God will send them to you. And you'll have a story of all the people who made impact in your life. And then you know what will happen? Hopefully, somebody, when they mention you, will say, that person impacted my life. And they helped me get to where I'm at today. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just pray for every person here who are thinking about their broken wall issues. It's on the front burner, Lord. They're, they're sensitive to it at the beginning of the year. I ask God, that you would not only give them the confidence to look at the reality of their situation, to confront the brutal reality of whatever it is in their life, but God, I pray that they would be open to you sending the right people in their life, you sending the right Nehemiah 3 people to help them, to send the errands to the Moses. I pray for that, God. I pray for each one of these people. And I hope it happens within this church, but maybe it happens, God, maybe it happens outside of this church for divine connections and divine appointments to find those people, to help them rebuild the walls of their lives. I ask that, Lord. And may the testimony of 2020 as it closes the end of this year will be, God sent the right people in my life. God sent the right person in my life to help me get to the next level. Help us, God. We can't make it happen. We are dependent upon you. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you're just kind of kicking the tires of Christianity. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ fully. The most important relationship you've got to have is one with Jesus. That relationship with Jesus will be the one 
that will ultimately be the first relationship to change your life. And maybe today you're thinking about your spiritual life and where would you end up, heaven or hell? Like, you know, if you died today, where, where, where would it be? Maybe you're realizing your need for the Savior. Well, if that's you today, as we're in this mode of prayer, as our minds are thinking about this, if that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer, this confession of faith to give your life to Christ. And right where you're sitting, you can pray this after me and become a follower of Jesus today and have a relationship with God through Christ right now where you're at. So if that's you, I want you to pray this with me. You say, God, I admit that I cannot save myself. I need you. I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Not only for the sins of the world, but for my sins. Today, God, forgive me of all my sins. I turn from my old life, and I receive your life in Christ. Now, God, help me find the right people in my life to disciple me and to move me along in my journey. And it's in Jesus' good name that we pray.